You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. to you all, and to all a good night. This is the last Sunday of 2017, woot, woot, right? I think it's appropriate for us to think about where we've been and where we're going now. We should think about what we're leaving behind us, and we should consider what we should look for in the future, right? Shouldn't we? So I think this is a good time, as any, really to stop and consider our ways, turn to your neighbor and say, consider your ways, Right now, my first point today is this. We got to forget the past. Can everyone say forget the past? <laughs> so, so we know the saying, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. So don't misunderstand what I am saying today. Don't forget everything. Don't forget everything that you've learned this past year because you might make the same mistakes this year. So obviously and hopefully... We'll all learn and grow from our mistakes, right? That's the idea. That's what responsible people do. That's what mature people do. We learn from our mistakes and we grow from it. But when God says, forget the past, what God is talking about is this. He's talking about our tendency to live in the past and let the past have a continual effect on your present and future. You get what I'm saying? that's, That's what we're talking about here. Have you ever struggled with regret? Amen. Yeah. Have you ever struggled with guilt? Amen. How many times has the broken record of, oh man, I should have done it that way, or I could have done it this way, or I might have handled it differently if it happened this way, or I wish I could have acted on it another way. How many times has that broken record played throughout our lives? Each and every day, my goodness. I'm guessing all of us have dealt with those thoughts, and God here is telling us now, guess what, folks? Lingering on all that is totally useless because the only thing that you can deal with are the things that are happening right here and right now. That's what he's saying. What's in front of you, that's what you can deal with, period. So there's a couple categories, a different category, really, that I think I want to I think we should never forget. So the first is this. We need to forget the sin. Everyone say, forget the sin. Look, Romans 6, 2 says this. How can we who die to sin still live in it? In other words, it is mandatory that we quit sinning. Turn to the neighbor and say, quit sinning. (laughs) Now we're all like, duh, right? Of course, we should quit sinning. That's obvious. And it's obvious that it's hypocritical to live a godly life and yet still continue on in our sins. But you see, what we're talking about here goes beyond that because here we're called not only to abandon those sins, but we're called to forget those sins too, to let them go. This means stop letting, get this, even the memory of your past sins hold any type of influence over you, hold any type of power over you. You get that? Now, if you go to a counselor, a therapist, a, a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whomever you go to, there's often a focus, <coughs> focus or understanding about why we're here and why we are the way that we are. 
that's, that's what the therapist or the counselor typically kind of tries to unravel about your life. Why are you the way that you are? And so there's some digging through your past. There's some digging into your life, and it's helpful. And so we try to figure out what caused the behavioral pattern. Why do you do the things that you do, right? We try to figure that out. Why are you struggling with this type of addiction? Why are you struggling with this type of behavior? And so on and so forth. And like I said, some application of this kind of psychology, it can be useful. See, some application of this kind of psychology, it can be helpful, especially when it's placed in the hands of skilled counselors and skilled uh, therapists. But what often happens is this, is that the more we understand why we did the things that we did, it just kind of abruptly ends there. It just ends there. And it's kind of hard to get past those things. It's kind of hard to move on. And so I think a problem that we have is this, and I want you guys to hear me out. The problem is this. We have made the problems of our past a part, get this, of our current identity. You, know, you hear what I'm saying? We have made uh, the problems of our past a part of our current and our present identity. Now, you may have never vocalized that out at all. But how many times have you self-labeled yourself as a person with such and such a problem? Right? I know you say, well, this, this is who I am. I'm a professional. I'm a worker. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a parent. I'm a child. Whatever you want to call it. But really, how many times have you said, well, this is, this is really who I am. Now, you would never tell other people because you'd be too ashamed to. But you tell, but you tell yourself. You know, there's a, you know the TV show Friends, right? Well, of course you guys know it. There was an episode. And in it, they're all trying to figure out what everyone's thing was. What everyone's thing was. And so when it came to this character named Ross, he was labeled as the divorce guy. He had three divorces. He is the divorce guy. And yeah, so the episode was funny and we all laughed. But what's not funny is that we often do that to ourselves and then we embrace it, not because, not because we want to, but because we don't know what else to do. We say, this is who I am. I had a jacked up past. I guess this is kind of how I'm painted with now. This is what I am now. Maybe you failed in school, and so that feeling of failure has always lingered over your head. And so you see yourself as the guy or the girl who just couldn't make it academically. You're not an intellectual. You're not someone who can pursue after academics. Maybe you've been addicted to alcohol or drugs or any other type of substance abuse, whatever. And so you define yourself as someone who is weak, someone who's weak-minded, someone who's feeble, someone who's messed up and will always be messed up. Maybe you've had a failed marriage, and so you define yourself as someone who is unlovable, someone who feels that they're not good enough, or someone who's unwilling to trust and be open to other people. Maybe you've got anger issues or issues of bitterness, and so now whenever a problem arises, you already have an expectation of how you'll respond because you believe this is who you are now. I am a bitter person. I am an angry person. You let your past sins now currently, presently define you. Why do you think God wants us to forget the past sins? Why? Because we keep cornering ourselves by making our past problems our present identity, and you cannot do that if you want to live for Jesus. You cannot. 
You can't live like that if at the same time you're saying, I'm seeking after the freedom that Christ gives me. No, you can't do that. There's no such thing as being dead to sin and yet still living in it. I mean, we're always talking about the forgiveness of Jesus from one corner of our mouths, but in the same breath, we're unwilling to live as the forgiven. You get what I'm saying? I'm forgiven in Christ, we say, but I'm unwilling to live in light of that truth. I'm forgiven in Christ, we say, but I'm, willing to, I'm unwilling to even forgive myself. I mean, who do we think we are? That the Son of God, get this, that the Son of God would go to the cross for our most disgusting and reprehensible sins, and yet we say to ourselves that my past is too unforgivable? That makes no sense whatsoever because every time we allow the sins of our past become our present identity, do you know what we're doing? Every time we're saying, you know what, this is who I am. My past sins, this is who I am. My past guilt, this is who I am. Every time we submit to that and every time we embrace that, we are re-crucifying Christ over and over and over again. We're saying to Jesus, hey, you know what, Christ? Your sacrifice wasn't enough. You didn't spill enough blood for me. Your death wasn't enough for me. Your love was wasn't deep enough for me, and your forgiveness sure as heck wasn't good enough for me. But the Lord says, uh-uh, forget the past. Forget the past. Why? Because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Can you say hallelujah? I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Can I hear hallelujah to that? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You see, it says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, or slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, that is what some of you were, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is what you were. That is what you were. Past, period, it's done. Forget it. That is what you were. But you were cleansed and you were sanctified and you were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you know who you are now? Forget the past. Forget the sin, for it is forgiven in Jesus Christ. And behold, the Lamb of God has come who has taken away the sins of the world. Now, secondly, maybe, maybe, in a place like Northern Virginia here, the DMV area, where many folks have a lot of degrees. Some of you guys have so many degrees, you don't know what to do with it. You guys have government jobs, working professionals, many people here who have done the right thing. Now, I've talked to a lot of you guys, if not every single one of you guys, and some of you guys just know. You guys are smart. You guys are good. Like, you've done. I feel like when you were born, some of you guys were born with an agenda. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't just your birth certificate. You had like, this is my life goal. That's how some of you guys are. And so what happened? You, you, you aggressively and you actively pursued what you want to do. And so in high school, you went to school and you graduated, graduated with honors. Then you went to college and you graduated with honors. Then you went to grad school and you graduated with honors. Then you got a great job and you got promoted with honors. I don't know. Right? 
And so maybe a lot of us here, we just have a hard time relating to what I've just said before. And so maybe when it comes to like the story of the prodigal son, we all kind of look down on that punk. You know what I'm talking about? How dare he? What? He, he said, Dad, give me your inheritance. In other words, Dad, I hope you drop. Dad, give me my money so I can spend it on however way I want. And we're thinking as upstanding people, how could he possibly ever do something or say anything like that? And so maybe for some of us, we would never, ever dream of doing anything illegal or unfaithful or malicious or reprehensible. Maybe for some of us, we've had the pleasure of living a relatively good life and that we listen to our parents. We're good. We're good boys and girls. We went to our church services. We listened to our pastors even. We completed our deadlines. We danced, but not too loosely. Right? We drank, but we didn't get drunk. We swore, but we quickly repented. Right? And we watched a radar movie, but we, we, we you aggressively and actively balance that out by having like an hour's worth of Bible study. Right? Because we don't want to feel too guilty about that. So maybe a lot of us here are actually good folks and we've done the right thing. We never abused anyone, we never hurt anyone, we never really did anything to put us on the map of obvious sinners. You know what I'm talking about? Well, guess what the next point here is for you. Because Paul says, not only do you forget the past of your sins, but he says you must also forget the past of your accomplishments. Did you hear that? Forget the past of your accomplishments. Forget the past of your successes. Forget the past of your righteous works. Forget the past of all your merits, he says. Now, this is an interesting point here, and I think I want you to see, look, I don't want to take away from what you just said, from, from what I just said about the whole sins of the past, okay? Forget the past, absolutely. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, that's the gospel. But in this particular context, in this specific instruction about forgetting the past, God, guess what, wasn't exactly talking about some disgusting sin of ours. He wasn't talking about some horrible, reprehensible, offensive sin. The actual issue here of what Apostle Paul was struggling was that he was trying to learn how to get over all his righteous accomplishments. That, that was the point of this text. You see, when God says, forget the past, he's not just talking about the sins of the past that are already forgiven. He is actually calling us to forget about every good thing that you have done, every good thing that we might think would make us more pleasing to God. Does that make sense? The things where you feel proud of, the things with which you might be tempted to say and look to other people, might say, look how holy I am. Look how good I am. Look at how much I served. Look at how much I was blessed. Look at how good I am. Look at, look at what I think validates me before God, and God says, forget it. Forget it all. I mean, it becomes crystal clear when we look at the whole context. In verses 3 to 4, Paul talks about putting his confidence in the flesh, and then he spells it out in the next few verses. He says this, look, I got an awesome pedigree. I've got an awesome pedigree. Like, I've got some awesome godly heritage. I remember talking to a couple people way back when, he, and someone said this. <clears throat> someone said, I come from three generations of pastors. And I'm like, then what happened to you? Like, who cares? You come from three generations of pastors? Whoop-de-doo. What does their faith 
got to do with your faith today or lack thereof? You can't live on borrowed faith. But Paul is saying this. He's saying, these are what I'm tempted to use to promote myself. He goes, I got godly heritage. I've conformed to the standards of God's law. I am eager. I am excited and zealous for God and his work. And guess what? I've got this perfect, impeccable record of obeying every word. But then in verse 7, he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul says, I had to learn to forget about my accomplishments. Now, all these things go together because in order for us to be released from the fear of judgment for our past sins, we must come to believe that God deals with us only on one basis. On one basis, and that is the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, and it's got nothing to do with you. You hear me? The basis of the work of Christ and not you. If our sins no longer have the power to condemn us, then neither do our good works have any single power to give us righteousness. You see, we are forgiven by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven. But guess what? You're also cloaked in righteousness by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven in Jesus, and you are declared right before God because of Jesus. It's grace plus nothing. You don't add anything to it. You have no part in this. I have no part in this. But here's what our problem often looks like. You and I, we don't like to be too vulnerable before God, especially vulnerable before one another. We don't like being naked and being desperate before God, do we? And so we have to hold on to a little bit of our righteousness. So, for example, we might say this, Pastor David, or we might say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I'm not perfect, but at least I go to church regularly, right? I know I'm not the greatest parent or a greatest spouse, but at least I give money to the church. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? You see how the attitude is always about looking for some self-credit? Like, God, come on. I know I'm not perfect, but give me a break. I deserve some special consideration. At least I'm not that bad. At least I'm not bad like him or bad like her. And so we proudly don our badges of spiritual accomplishments. But you see, Paul is saying this. This is, this is a huge revelation for him. He's saying, <clears throat> you know what has kept me from knowing Jesus this whole time? He goes, I didn't realize this until it was revealed to me. You see, this whole time, I thought what separated me from Jesus were like the obvious sins, sins like pagans or sins like the heathens or the unbelievers that kept me from God. But no, 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 this, is, this blew my mind. He says, it was the confidence that I had in my own accomplishments. You see, it was my zeal for keeping God's law. It was the little pet that I would put on my back every time I do something good. That is what kept me from knowing Jesus. It was those little bits of self-righteousness thinking, God, I deserve you, that kept me from knowing Jesus. You see, folks, it is only, and hear me out, when every vestige, when every trace of self-righteousness is gone, that we can truly come to know freedom in Christ. That's why God is telling us today, forget your past sins, yes, 
But forget your past accomplishments. You're not all that great. You're not all that great. You didn't save yourself. He says, I did. You contributed nothing. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He said this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You hear that? Look, past sins are past accomplishments. Those are all history. And so this past 2017 year, if God used you, praise the Lord. If God worked through you, praise him. If good things happen where you're able to be a blessing unto others, then we honor and praise God. But it's still, those works, those good things, still doesn't give you anything to rest upon, to sit back on, or especially to take pride in. So here's my challenge to us all. The reason why it's hard for us as a church to move on and grow from this is because we keep forgetting about the grace of God. Now, this word, grace, we throw it, around, throw it around so much, we've kind of lost, it's lost all its meaning. But this church, for, <coughs> for the new year, has to be different, amen? For the 2018 year, it has to be different. Shiny stars got to be different this year. Forget being inclusive because, just because someone's got the right last name. Forget about being inclusive just because someone's got the right education or because they've got the right kind of lifestyle or because, because they got the right kind of political views or because they got the right ethnic background or because they have the right amount of money. Because we as a congregation, as a church, we must never ever say these are our kind of people. You hear me? We must never ever say that. Do you know why? Because there's only one kind of people. You know where I'm going with this. There's only one kind of people. People who need the grace of God. I need it. You need it. People who are broken because of past sins or people who are broken because of past self-righteous accomplishments. But regardless, it is all sin. It's all separation. And they are all just desperate cries for God's forgiveness and grace. We're all sitting in one camp. No one outranks the other. So then what do we do? And this is my last point. We got to press on towards Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so we have this wrong idea that God saved us and now it's our responsibility to finish it. I've heard people say this. God, just give me a second chance. Just give me one more chance and I, I know I'll live up to it well. And, and guess what? That's wrong. But then I've also heard people say this, let go and let God. We've heard that. We've said it. Let go and let God mean just hope that God will magically and do his mystical kind of intervention where he just feeds you and where he just clothes you, where, he, where you, where you uh, in the morning wake up and the Bible just flutters and opens to the, to the passage that you want to read and all this stuff, and that God will somehow, like a puppet, move your arms and legs. People say this. Let go and let God because they think that the moment that you do something, the moment that you start planning, the moment that you start preparing or doing something, <laughs> that you stop trusting in Jesus. And that's wrong also. So what does this passage actually teach us? Paul is saying this, have active faith. Have faith that is active. We're commanded to forget the past, especially our righteous works. But then we're commanded to press on towards maturity in Christ. I want to be mature in Christ. Do you? 
I want to grow in Christ. Do you? I am tired of being stagnant spiritually. Are you? Do you want to remain how you are spiritually today? No way. And I refuse that in the name of Jesus for our church here. We must grow. And how does a church grow together? When individuals grow. Right? When you, the individual, takes the time to grow. You know what the word press on means? Is translated to? It's translated to persecute. This is intense, eager, zealous pursuit of something. Many people are driven by hatred. <clears throat> They're driven by aggressiveness and anger to their drive. But here we're told to use it to pursue after Christ's likeness. So therefore, Paul's saying, hey, aggressively and passionately and zealously pursue after Jesus. That's active faith. It's so funny sometimes hearing the stories of certain couples. Typically, it's the guy who actively pursued his spouse. They bothered him. Like, for example, my father bothered my mom for 13 years. Actively pursued. Nowadays, that would be considered harassment. <clears throat> actively pursued. Relentlessly, aggressively, passionately. Active faith is when a person who is hungry for God's word makes reading the Bible a priority. You hear that? They make reading the Bible a habit rather than simply saying, hey, I get fed on Sundays. Active faith is when you see that there isn't a prayer group, you start one. You start one. You lead it. You join it. That's why in 2 Peter 1, 5, 11, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to that goodness, knowledge, and to that knowledge, self-control, and to that self-control, perseverance, and to that perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Active faith is not just knowing good theology. Active faith is living out your theology. Your theology isn't what you know. Your theology is what you do. You hear that? Peter says, make every effort, be all the more eager, do these things. You see all these imperatives, all these active words, Paul says, press on, take hold of, strain towards. There should be one question we ask ourselves each and every day for this year. Are, are we pursuing after Jesus today? When you wake up, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you put your head down to sleep, you got to think, was I pursuing Jesus today? Was I actively, aggressively, passionately seeking after my Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, the name that is above all names? Was I actively pursuing Jesus? If you are, you see, it's not just about knowing more about him. Being active faith or active faith is all about being like him. Being like him. It's trusting in his work. It's believing in his work. It's believing in his words. It's surrendering to his commands and loving one another. Spiritual growth will happen, will happen when we live out our faith actively. You know that? Before too long, you and I, we've been a little bit more kept or, or settled on being introspective. You know, <clears throat> this past week, I actually got pneumonia, which is why I didn't feel so great this past Sunday. And um, I got a prescription. What good would that prescription of antibiotics be if I say, ah, yes, a prescription? And just continue on with my life. The diagnosis was there. I'm sick. 
The prescription was there. It said, now do this. What was my choice? What was my part in this? My part was this, to obey. So I got that, went to the pharmacist. I got my prescription filled out, and I feel loads better. Spiritually speaking, it is no different. Spiritual growth will happen when we live out our faith actively. It's not when you just say, I got a problem. It's not when you just say, oh, so there's a prescription. Live out your faith actively means this. How will you pursue Jesus today, tomorrow, and every day after that? It's now about what you did for him yesterday or yesteryear. On this last Sunday of 2017, here is our challenge from the word. Forget your past. Forget your accomplishments. Press on towards Christ because you are not defined by your past sins. Amen? Your past mistakes or anything like that, but neither are you defined by your past accomplishments. You know I'm grateful for that? I'm grateful that who I am is defined not by my works, but by the work of Jesus. I'm grateful that my accomplishments don't make me more lovable to God. I'm going to be honest with you. I bet I'm holier than you all. I bet. If, if, you want, if you want to do it from a very humanistic checkpoint, I bet I'm holier than you. I bet I read the Bible more than you. I bet I pray more than you. I bet I'm gooder than you. You know what I'm talking about? But I thank God, and I'm grateful that, you know what, <clears throat> that I'm not defined by my works, and that, that that doesn't make me more lovable to God, because if that were true, then I know my atrocious sins would make me more disgusting to him, too. I'm grateful that just because it's a new year, it doesn't mean I have to be perfect. Can I hear an amen to that? Some of you guys have resolutions, you already, you already know you're going to break them. If I fail to lose those extra pounds, that's okay. That's okay. Stop shaking your head. Don't judge me. I'm grateful that I know that even if I fail to be the perfect father, it'll be okay. That if I fail to be the perfect husband to my wife, it'll be okay. I'm grateful because through Christ, because of his grace, Equipped with his word, empowered by his spirit, though I can't be perfect and though I'm going to make mistakes, I am ultimately and I'm spiritually and I'm eternally defined by who Jesus is and what he's done. You see, I'm a child of God. I'm saved by grace. I have God speaking to me every single day through his word. I got a spiritual family called the church and the church that loves me and a church that I love too. And I've got the comfort of the Holy Spirit and I have a heavenly father who holds my entire existence in the palm of his hands so I am secure. So 26, 2018, bring your worst or bring your best because you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter because I have Jesus who is always the object of my faith. And why is that important? Because Jesus will never fail me. He never has, he never will, and I will be with him one day, but until that glorious day comes, may we as a, all, may we as a church all grow together in one pursuit of Jesus by forgetting our past, forgetting our accomplishments, and pressing on in active faith so that we may live the remainder of our time here on earth knowing more, knowing more of Jesus and making him famous. Amen? That's our 2018 resolution.
You don't, you don't live perfectly? That's fine. Extend some grace to yourself. But forget the past sins. Forget your past accomplishments. And this 2018 year, through the divine sovereignty God has given, he has also given us human responsibility. He says, have active faith. I have, have active faith. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this afternoon giving us the opportunity just to hear your word. Lord, how long have we, for how long have we taken your word for granted? But you're speaking to us, Lord. Your truth is powerful, it's real. It is good for our souls. It guides us, it leads us, it empowers us. It also corrects us. It rebukes us. It disciplines us. It brings us back onto that narrow path. I don't know what to expect for this 2018 year. And we all have goals. We all, we all have personal ambitions. And those are perfectly fine. I pray for encouragement for all our brothers and sisters and friends here that they would work hard, be diligent, be faithful, do what they can do, and do it excellently. If they're in school, I pray for academic excellence. If they're, if they're working professionals, I pray for professional excellence. If they're in a relationship or a new relationship, God, I pray for integrity and relational excellence. I pray for faithfulness. But beyond all that, if they don't have you, Jesus, what does it matter? For so long, we've been chained by our past. Help us to break that chain. We've been defined by our past. Help us to be redefined. We are not the old in Christ Jesus. We are new. So I pray that you would help us to recall and remember that every day. But we won't know that and we won't remember that unless we go into your word. And we let your sweet, gentle words coat over our souls. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys just a few minutes to meditate and reflect and think about what you've just heard. The way that the Holy Spirit is speaking to, to you. Open yourselves. Yes, be desperate. Be naked before him. Be vulnerable. Let God speak what he needs to say and what you need to hear today. So that 2018 is different. Not that you need to be perfect, but that you know that you have Christ.